The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank believes communities thrive when individuals succeed. Working together, we can help create economic opportunity for all. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, June 21st. In today's news, letters from a Mississippi archive undercut Joe Biden's efforts at damage control. The NRA sidelines its top lobbyist after discovering text messages it says implicate him in the failed coup attempt against Wayne LaPierre. And millions of undocumented immigrants have gone into hiding ahead of impending ICE raids. But first, the big idea. President Trump ordered an attack on Iran yesterday in retaliation for the downing of a surveillance drone in the Strait of Hormuz, but he called the operation off just hours before it was due to occur. Planes were literally in the air. Ships were in position. Troops were in motion. But no missiles had been fired when Trump sent word to stand down. Administration officials say the president approved a series of counterstrikes against Iranian radar and missile batteries after the Revolutionary Guard shot down the Navy drone off Iran's southern coast. But Trump changed his mind. It's not immediately clear why, but the decision was first reported by the New York Times, and administration officials confirmed it to us. As late as 7 p.m., military and diplomatic officials were expecting a strike after what we're told was an intense debate inside the Situation Room. Earlier in the afternoon, speaking alongside visiting Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Trump condemned the shootdown, but also appeared to tamp down speculation that a counterstrike was in the works. He said the drone may have been shot down without the knowledge of Iranian leadership. But then the Iranian government released video footage of the drone being shot down over triumphant music. On Thursday, the European Union announced that officials from Germany, Britain, France, Russia, China, and Iran will meet without the United States next week to discuss strategies to salvage the nuclear pact despite renewed U.S. sanctions and Tehran's threat to exceed limits on its uranium stockpiles. This is happening as nearly a quarter of the world's oil passes through the Strait of Hormuz, which connects Middle East energy producers to markets around the globe. Overnight, the Federal Aviation Administration issued an emergency order prohibiting all U.S. aircraft operators from flying near Tehran-controlled airspace. Many international flights are being canceled this morning that go through the region. This is all happening without a permanent Secretary of Defense or a Deputy Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon. Acting SecDef Patrick Shanahan is stepping down today. He withdrew from his confirmation process to become secretary after revelations about past family strife. He's handing off responsibility for the military to Mark Esper, who now serves as secretary of the Army. It's unclear how this turnover will affect the internal debate at the White House about dealing with Iran. But some defense officials are privately voicing alarm that a cabal of hardliners led by National Security Advisor John Bolton, who has publicly advocated regime change in Iran in the past, is trying to create the conditions to make war with Iran inevitable. And they fear the lack of strong leadership at the Pentagon may be strengthening Bolton's hand. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Friday. Number one. Joe Biden on Wednesday night described his relationship with Jim Eastland as one he, quote, had to put up with. He said he disagreed with the Mississippi segregationist, unquote, 
everything he stood for. But a cache of letters in Eastland's papers at the University of Mississippi show a very different kind of relationship, one in which they were aligned and worked together on one of the biggest civil rights issues of the 1970s. Biden was a freshman senator when he reached out to Eastland to solicit support for one of his earliest legislative proposals. The courts were ordering racially segregated school districts to bus children to create more integrated classrooms, a practice Biden opposed and wanted to change through legislation. So did Eastland, and Eastland helped him out. Biden said at the time that he didn't think busing was the best way to integrate schools in Delaware. After demanding that Cory Booker apologize to him for criticizing his comments about working well with racists and segregationists and them being civil, Biden called up the New Jersey senator to try to smooth things over. And last night, Biden went to the Capitol to meet with members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Today, he's going to be in South Carolina. He's meeting with African-American leaders before Jim Clyburn's fish fry to try and turn the page. Number two, the National Rifle Association sidelined its top lobbyist, Chris Cox, after accusing him in court documents of participating in what it describes as a failed extortion scheme to rid the organization of its top executive. Cox, who's a well-known figure in D.C., is the NRA's second-in-command, and he leads its powerful political arm. He's been placed on administrative leave after the organization filed a lawsuit in New York against former NRA president Oliver North from the Iran-Contra scandal, who resigned in April after accusing the NRA of exorbitant spending. The chief executive, Wayne LaPierre, accused North of attempting to extort the group. In its new suit, the NRA accuses Cox of participating in a, quote, conspiracy with North. LaPierre accused North of working in concert with the group's estranged public relations firm, Ackerman McQueen. In its lawsuit against North, the NRA says that the former Marine colonel said he could work with Ackerman's co-founder to negotiate, quote, an excellent retirement for LaPierre if he cooperated. Now, the lawsuit also implicates another board member, former Oklahoma congressman, Democrat Dan Boren, in this alleged scheme. Bourne didn't respond to our request for comment. And Cox calls the allegations against him offensive and patently false. He's led the lobbying arm of the group since 2002. Tax records show he was paid $1.1 million in 2017. We also are learning that the NRA has placed one of Cox's top deputies, Scott Christman, on administrative leave as well. Number three, undocumented immigrants are trying to stay out of sight as Trump repeats his threats for massive raids. The president's proclamation that federal agents will soon round up millions of families illegally in the country and deport them has accelerated the fear that has been building up for more than two years among the nation's estimated 10.5 million undocumented residents. Parents are keeping their children at home and out of summer programs. Shopping trips are being consolidated to limit driving, Migrants without papers are avoiding large crowds, and they're not going out at night. Some have stopped attending church services. They're praying at home so they don't get picked up. A Honduran woman told us that she's been hunkered down in her stuffy apartment since hearing about Trump's announcement. She said she feels like a prisoner. Meanwhile, more evidence is emerging of young migrant kids being treated poorly in U.S. government custody at the southern border. A legal team that interviewed dozens of children at a border patrol station in Texas found that some 250 infants, children, and teens are being locked up in traumatic and dangerous situations. Three girls, aged 10 to 15, said 
They'd been taking turns watching over a sick two-year-old boy because there was no one to look after him. When the lawyers saw the boy, he wasn't wearing a diaper and had wet his pants, and his shirt was smeared in mucus. The lawyers told the AP that at least 15 children at the facility had the flu, and some were being kept in medical quarantine. The children told the lawyers that they were fed uncooked frozen food or rice and had gone weeks without bathing or getting a clean change of clothes at the facility in Clint, which is in the desert scrubland 25 miles southeast of El Paso. The head of the Border Patrol acknowledges that children need better medical care and a place to recover from their illnesses, but he said they're overwhelmed. Meanwhile, a Trump administration lawyer argued in open court this week that detained migrant children do not need access to soap or toothbrushes for the federal government to comply with a legal requirement that they be held in, quote, safe and sanitary conditions. The administration says giving kids toothbrushes and soap was not explicitly listed as part of the landmark 1985 Flores case, which established guidelines for the way minors held in federal immigration detention must be treated. So therefore, they say, it's not necessary. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, June 21st. Thanks for listening. Have a good weekend. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday. Hi, I'm Hannah Sampson, a reporter for The Washington Post, By the Way. By the Way is your new digital home for travel. Find guides to the world's best cities written by local experts and discover news you didn't know you needed. Visit us at WashingtonPost.com slash travel.